Hello, and welcome to another American Road Trip Talk, where we introduce you to the people and places behind the articles in American Road Magazine. I'm your host, Foster Brown. Sometime the best visits you make during a vacation are those unique hidden attractions that aren't on the big maps. It's the special little cafe, a unique overlook, or a remarkable museum that is full of extraordinary displays. Such was my experience when I visited the Indiana Medical History Museum off of U.S. 40, the National Highway, just outside of downtown Indianapolis. There I met Mary Ellen Hennessy Nottage, the passionate curator and executive director of the Medical History Museum in Indiana. We conducted the interview as we strolled through what had been the pathology lab for the state's main mental health hospital for more than a century. This interview was not only remarkable because of the historical artifacts and the history of the institution, but also because it traced the early efforts to hunt down a cruel disabler and often killer mental illness. This podcast is brought to you by America's Best Value Inns. And the award goes to America's Best Value Inn. For the second year in a row, America's Best Value Inn has been named the Economy Hotel Brand of the Year based on the Harris Poll Equitrend Study. And now you can be a winner, too. Join our free value club for a 15% discount, room upgrade, late checkout when available, and other instant rewards at our 1,000 hotels in North America. Visit AmericasBestValueInn.com for details and reservations. We're talking with Mary Ellen Hennessy Nottage, who is the executive director of the Indiana Medical History Museum. First of all, let's talk about um, the beginning of the grounds here. When, when, what was this part of? This was part of a state-run hospital for the mentally ill. In the early 1840s, the state of Indiana purchased 160 acres of farmland on which to build such a hospital. By 1848, they had the first building up the first patients in residence, and then it started growing. This hospital campus accommodated over 2,500 patients living on its premises. What made this one different? What made this one the kind of place that it eventually became of of tremendous uh, discoveries and, and, you know, the application in particular of electricity? Uh, Primarily due to its leadership. Dr. George Edenharder in the 1890s was superintendent of the Central Indiana Hospital for the Insane, as it was named at that time. And Dr. Edenharder was a very forward-thinking person. Uh, He had become knowledgeable about developments in Europe, particularly in Germany, with regard to disease. Um, and and uh, the germ theory was brand new in the 18... Not brand new, but new enough in the 1890s. Pathology wasn't even a subspecialty yet. It was a notion, just beginning to, to be established as a profession. Even Harder wanted to take advantage of these new sciences to see if he could discover a physical basis for mental illness. Mm, I see. Using the germ theory as the path into the whole thing. He uh, established this laboratory, very, very carefully designed so that each space has a purpose, each space is critically constructed to support that that particular purpose of the room. That's why you see so many windows in the buildings. That's why in this building, so many skylights in this building. They're positioned to uh, enable the work to go on in these rooms. When would electricity have become part of the investigations? 
That would have been as soon as it was available. Electricity, uh, in, in terms of uh, the building trade, was already being used in, in business offices and factories and homes. This building was wired for electricity when it opened in 1896. However, very, very minimally. The technology for delivering usable electric current over long distances just wasn't there yet. Downtown Indianapolis is doing fine with their electrification. We're three miles from downtown. You always build the insane asylums, as it was called, the poor houses, the working farms, uh, a decent distance from town, okay. according to the, the thoughts of the day. So problem with electricity here, not readily available, sometimes on, sometimes off. Uh, in the 1930s, early early 1930s, the whole place was rewired, and you can see it. All these conduits mm -hmm. that, that a, a person visiting the building sees uh, visible on the exterior on the, the the walls inside the building. That's how they adapted it. Mm. They just sl slapped it in, in and took off with it. No, we we looked at some pieces of equipment uh, that were designed. Allegedly, or I think hopefully in the best way, to uh, be able to use electricity to deal with mental illness in particular. Was that the idea? Was that it, was, that it? was one of them. Okay. And that became, uh, eventually that became a focal point of treatment using electrical current. Started out pretty much as a panacea. Mm -hmm. um, uh, electrical coils mounted in a box with a hand crank and two metal tubes that the patient would hold connected up to the box, and the doctor could crank the, uh, the, the wheels in this little piece of machinery and deliver a mild electric current to the patient. And that was in the 1850s. Okay. Oh. And this sample that we saw here uh, dates from about 1870. So they weren't quite sure it was doing any good, but as you said, because it was electricity and it was somehow mysterious, there was a thought that maybe this would help. Absolutely. Electricity was almost viewed as, as magical. Now, did they ever get to the place where they did things like shock therapy as yes. part of it? Okay. Yes, yes. Yeah. Shock therapy was carried on here at the Indiana Hospital for the Insane. I know a lot of research, a tremendous amount of research was done here, and the fascinating part of the museum is to see the pathology labs and the advancement that we saw that one photographic device, the uh, to be able to help them to photograph the slides. Just describe that and tell me about the uniqueness of that machine. Yes, that, that was one of the, the pieces installed in this building that gave it its reputation at the time of being cutting edge, state of the art. And that is a photomicrograph. It is basically a, 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 what we use now in labs uh, with digital photography. It's the mm -hmm. ancestor of digital microscopic photography in uh, uh, the study of pathology. Mm. That enormous machine allowed them then to create those plates, which for the first time they could pass on rather than hand drawings. And exactly, like exactly. They photographed actual microscope slides that they 
they had produced here in the building. All the tissues coming from the autopsies that were held in the building, all the autopsies done on people who had died as patients at the hospital in, in their efforts to find a physical basis for mental illness that they had not yet discovered. They had the unique resource of having an incredible number of bodies to be able to work on legitimately. Legitimately, yes. Please join us for part two of our conversation with Mary Ellen Hennessy Nottage, the curator and executive director of the Indiana Medical History Museum. You're going to find this a fascinating conversation. Don't miss the next podcast. Thanks for listening to this podcast, and we hope you'll subscribe to our regular interviews through iTunes or your favorite podcast application. Visit us at AmericanRoadMagazine.com for more information about the magazine, trip itineraries, suggestions, fun contests, and a whole lot more. Until we meet again on the American Road, this is Foster Brown reminding you that the joy is in the journey.